Welcome to Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Now, here's your host, Colleen Dieter. Good morning, everyone. This is Colleen Dieter with the Horticulture Hangover Show. Great to be here. Thanks for listening. You know, I'm so uh, happy that we're having some much nicer weather. It's a real mood changer. And um, you can check in with me. Let me know what's growing in your garden. Call in with your questions. 512-836-0590 is the number. That's 512-836-0590. You can call in with your gardening questions. You can also text me at that number and uh, say hi. Let me know what's blooming right now and what, you know, what you've been up to in the garden. I've been still enjoying the butterflies coming through and my butterfly garden is thriving. I've got um, Dallas red lantanas blooming. I divided my irises last week, which is a little late to do it, but that's all right. Um, and shared a bunch of irises with some friends and neighbors. Uh, they're the white cemetery irises. They're called as uh, kind of a old-timey name for them because they traditionally would grow in cemeteries around Texas. And um, it's iris albicans is the Latin name. And um, every spring, they're reliable bloomers with beautiful white flowers. And it's a pass along plant. Um, for me, something that grows in a cemetery without any care is that's the plant that I want, you know. But I could tell last year they weren't blooming as much and uh, they were starting to get crowded. And when they get crowded, um, they will stop blooming. And because they, one of the ways that they reproduce is by just um, creating new bulbs right next to them. So they'll just grow new bulbs. And uh, they need to be divided in order to keep them blooming. And when they get too crowded, they won't bloom as much. So I started digging them up. I like to use a digging fork for that. So the digging fork is a tool that looks kind of like a pitchfork, but uh, has wider tines and it's meant for digging in the soil. And it's really great for heavy clay soil. And it has a shorter handle than a pitchfork too for digging. So um, I used my digging fork and pulled, pulled up all the irises. And then I went through and removed the bulbs that have holes in them. So as the bulbs age, um, the little roots that are attached to the bulbs die. And then it leaves a little hole where the root used to be. So uh, you get rid of the ones that have the holes in them because they're aging out and they're not going to bloom again. And then um, dividing up, then after that, you can take the bulbs that are still attached to each other but still have roots and are younger and you just pull those apart so there's just one set of leaves 
attached to each bulb. Um, and they have like fan-shaped leaves. So you just take one fan of leaf um, and pull it apart from the other ones. And then I'm giving away, I gave away about half of mine and uh, I still need to plant, uh, replant them. I haven't gotten to it yet, but that's fine. I have time this week since it's Thanksgiving week. I'm taking a little time off from work and I will be uh, putting those guys in the ground and hopefully get a good bloom this spring. So um, call me if you have questions about dividing irises or other bulb questions. 512-836-0590. And uh, I'm Colleen Dieter. I'm a landscape consultant here in Central Texas. Um, you can check out my website at atxgardens.com. I'm a ISA certified arborist. I am a fruit tree expert. I'm an, an expert in landscape maintenance. So I know when to you know cut back all of the perennials, how to trim shrubs, all kinds of things like that. So any gardening questions you have, call us up, 512-836-0590. And you can also text at that number. Let's see. So I was just with a customer this week uh, walking through their yard doing a consultation for them and they were interested in a vegetable garden and they lived over in um, Travis Country neighborhood in Southwest Austin. And over there in that area, I recommend building raised beds. Um, so pretty much anywhere west of Mopac, I'm gonna encourage gardeners to build a raised bed for vegetable gardens because the soil over there is relatively thin. So if you have thin soil where, you know, there's bedrock up high or maybe there's just real rocky soil, um, building a raised bed is better for vegetables because they need more root space. They need deeper soil than other plants. And so they were asking me, you know, well, how can we build a raised bed? What should we make it out of? And I said, well, there's a million ways to build a raised bed, you know, and um, they had some leftover bricks from the construction of their home. And I said, you could build it out of bricks. It needs to be at least 12 inches high, but I like it to be even taller if you can afford the, the extra materials to make it um, like the same height as a countertop uh, because then you don't have to bend as much it's more accessible um, and you know you can use chopped limestone um, that's a good option uh, cedar you know you could use cedar logs um, but also I've had some customers who've built really beautiful raised beds out of like western red cedar lumber it was really beautiful 
So there's all kinds of ways to do it. Um, and if you've ever built a raised bed, send me uh, some pictures on over text. And looks like we've got a text message. And they say, good morning, Colleen. Is cottonseed meal a good top dressing for Bermuda lawns to improve soil? Is it too late to apply cottonseed meal? Um, yeah, I love cottonseed meal. I've never used it for grass. I usually use it on the vegetable garden. But yeah, I think um, cottonseed meal would be a good way to feed your soil and to care for your lawn. It is not too late now for something really gentle like cottonseed meal. Um, you don't want to apply uh, any really high nitrogen fertilizers at this time of year, but cottonseed meal is a nice gentle feeding. So that's you're going to be fine with that. That's great. It's also a good time to put compost on your lawn as well for a top dressing. Um, you can use any kind of compost. I particularly like turkey compost. And you just put a really thin, almost sprinkling over the lawn and that's going to help the lawn through the winter and help improve the soil. So we've got Susan on the line in Southwest Austin. Hi, Susan. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I've never spoken to you. I'm, it's my pleasure to speak with you today. Oh, thanks for calling. <laughs> I have built many garden beds. I used to chair gardening committees at schools when I was a teacher. I'm retired now. Oh, cool. But, uh, they, and I live Southwest Austin, and most of my schools were South Austin mm -hmm. and garden beds, and a, a lot of the wood rotted. Mm. And so when I just heard you um, talk about Southwest, what kind of above ground bed, mm -hmm. about 10 years ago, I bought a trough, mm. and it's about 16 feet in diameter. Uh, I, I think it's stainless steel troughs that they would actually use in the barnyard. Uh -huh. And it's still like brand new. Wow. It is the most incredible garden bed. So we put, um, at this time, uh, oh gosh, I think it was John Durambul gave me directions mm -hmm. on how to, you'd put the holes in the side of the bed. Ooh. So we drilled holes in the side of the trough, you know, mm -hmm. the, and you put screen so mm. that uh, insects and vermins can't get in there. Uh -huh. And then we put about eight inches of pea granite at the very bottom oh, or maybe okay. 10. Uh -huh. And then filled it with organic soil and compost. And that's every year, that's all we have to do is just add more to it. Oh, that's and awesome. Everything is just beautiful. Very <laughs> so cool. When you say that, I thought if they, it's an initial investment to, you know, find that trough. Yeah. And get it, but it, it, there, it's virtually indestructible. Very cool, Susan. So I wanted to share that with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love that idea. That's a great idea of galvanized tubs are wonderful for gardening. That's so great, Susan. Thank you. What are, what have you got growing in there right now? Oh my gosh. Well, I have peppers from last year, the hot peppers. Uh -huh. They never died out. So those plants are really big. I've got cucumbers and zucchini and peas going up the trellises and mm. uh, carrots and onions and lettuces and chard and broccoli and cauliflower. Wow. And uh huh, and you can pack a lot in there too. I do kind of a square foot gardening. Oh yeah, kind of a, a yeah, a, a, you know that companion gardening. Yes, thing. and you can really fit a lot in there. And then I try to also 
Staggeret. I think uh-huh. you were speaking of that a couple of weeks ago where plant something and wait a few more weeks yeah. and plant, if it, we'll say spinach, and then plant so that when you're at the harvesting mode, you can just keep harvesting. Yeah. And, and what a great year we're having uh, weather-wise. Yes, like right, now. right now the fall garden and then, is great. Also, you know, I, I didn't speak to you about this, but last year I went and bought 16 pink roses. I had this idea pink roses around the perimeter of my yard and about eight of them died last year and I replaced them and now they're all in bloom. Oh, great. That's so nice, Susan. That is really, so yeah, I'm doing a lot of gardening and I just absolutely love it. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your call. I really appreciate you calling to share. Well, I love your show. Oh, good. Thanks so much, Susan. And we're going to go to the break. This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Good morning, everyone. This is Colleen Dieter on the Horticulture Hangover Show. And I just wanted to let you know, last week someone texted in and asked, uh, where's Leah? Where'd Leah go? And, um... Leah decided to leave the show. It was not a good fit for her. And she and I are still best buds, um, still real close friends. And she, we're still doing our podcast together, which is the Horticulture Roddy. So if you are interested in more long form kind of gardening information, um, it's a different format from this show, which is a call-in show. You can check out our podcast at horticulturati.com or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Um, and so Leah's fine. Everything's great. Um, and I'm doing the the show myself now. So um, thanks so much for being loyal listeners and tuning in and hanging in with us. Um, so I have a text here from uh, listener Steve and Leander. Steve says, I'm thinking about replacing my crepe myrtle with a native that is drought tolerant, maybe persimmon or Mexican plum. I would like to eat the fruit. From what I've read, Mexican plums are not great eating. Is that right? So maybe persimmon. And then he goes on to ask, are there male and female persimmons? If so, I assume I need a female to make fruit. Would I also need a male? Do you think a persimmon is a good choice? The site is full sun. What time of year would be best to do this? Says He says, thanks. So Steve, um, I think that's a great idea. Uh, Mexican plums vary a lot in the flavor of the fruit. Um, some of them are quite sour but occasionally you'll get some that are more sweet, but for the most part, they're very tart and sour. And some people really, really like that. Um, a lot of people, even with the sour fruit, will uh, you know make jams and jellies and pies and stuff like that with the Mexican plums. So um, if you want something that you can eat right off the tree and you don't like sour tart, uh, then the Texas persimmon is a better choice. Um, the Texas persimmons are separate male and female trees, though. 
And so, yes, you would need a female to make fruit. And the problem is that the nurseries sell Texas persimmons as landscape plants. They don't sell them as fruit trees. So you don't know when you buy the tree if you're getting a male or female, um, unless you bought it when it had fruit on it in uh, earlier in the summer and fall is when they have fruit. So you won't know when you buy it, if it's going to make fruit or not. So that's a downside. And then your question, if you would also need a male um, to pollinate the female tree, it's hard to say. Um, you would probably be more likely to get more fruit if you had both near each other. However, the Texas persimmons are such common trees in central Texas, there's usually persimmons nearby um, to pollinate. So, but you'll have better odds if you have more than one um, of getting better pollination. And then, so I do like persimmons, Texas persimmons a lot, especially in a full sun site. There's a beautiful one I just noticed outside the station here um, when I was walking in this morning. And so that was really cool. Um, the best time of year to plant uh, either your persimmon, Texas persimmon or Mexican plum is now. Um, so for me, tree planting season is September 15th through April 1st, but you really want to get it in as soon as you can. Earlier is better. Um, Getting into March, it's a lot harder on the trees because they're coming out of dormancy and they're starting to grow. And um, it's better if they just wake up in the spring in their new home. I love all those native fruit trees. One that I really like that I think is really underrated is the mulberry. If you just get a native red mulberry, um, if you can find them at the nursery, typically the nurseries only sell females. Uh, they also have separate male and female, um, a separate male and female plants, but uh, that's that's the they're really good tasting fruit, and the trees are extremely durable and grow really fast. Um, I even think the male trees would be useful if we could buy male uh, mulberry trees. I think it makes a lot of sense because they're fast growing and grow in narrow spaces. So they would be good for privacy, um, but they're really not available. They're really considered to be weedy, um, but I think they're great. So here's someone else wrote in, texted and said, I had to dig up some day lilies that were crowding some other plants. And I wanted to know if I could put them in another location at this time of year. They're in a pot right now and I could keep them in the greenhouse over the winter, but I have lots of them and I'll need to dig more up in the spring as well. Um, yeah, I think you could definitely put them in the ground right now. I think that would be fine because um, they're getting ready to go dormant for the winter. So um, usually if it gets really cold, the top of the plant gonna die anyway um, so I think you're fine to put those bulbs in the garden in another location 
So I love daylilies. We don't see them around here very much. Where I grew up in Ohio, um, there's daylilies everywhere. It's a garden staple up there. Down here, they're not as popular, but um, I think they're really lovely. So yeah, great idea. Um, someone else texted in, back going back to the fruit tree topic, and said they're suggesting pomegranates. And um, yeah, I like pomegranates too. They're not native uh, but they are very drought tolerant because they're, I believe they're a Mediterranean plant. Um, I And they're another, you know, Austin landscape staple where we just have pomegranates, lots of pomegranates around town. But they got hit really hard in the winters. Um, the last three winters, as you know, have been really, really cold and had a hard, you know, had a hard time. So a lot of people, the tops of their trees died um, and I think most of the ones that I've seen have grown back, uh, but, um, I have seen some that didn't grow back very well and were kind of weak and the homeowners are deciding to remove them and replace them with other fruits that are more cold tolerant, but really hard. So, uh, but pomegranates are great. Yeah. And if, if you like eating pomegranates too, it's kind of a lot of work to get in there. So, uh, let's see. We've got another text. Is it okay to? Is it an okay time to transplant native evergreen sumac from the wild? Crappy caliche soil, but I did a successful transplant pretty late spring, and it did beautifully. I could wait until dead of winter, but it would be more fun now-ish. We love you on here. Please stay forever. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> um, yes, you can transplant the native evergreen sumac from the wild now. It's a great time to do that. Go ahead and do it. And they love the caliche soil. That's their native habitat. And so now we're going to go to the news. Welcome to Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Now, here's your host, Colleen Dieter. Good morning, y'all. We're back. This is Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com, and this is the Horticulture Hangover Show. And I have some really important news. Um, last week we had a caller who asked if I like fruitcake and I said no. Uh, however, yesterday I was with my friends and at the seed to tree partnership meeting at the tree folks office and my friend Stephanie brought a fruitcake, uh, but she referred to it as boozy bread and it was wonderful. So Stephanie's boozy bread uh, maybe was the exception. It was fruitcake-like, uh, fruit fruitcake adjacent, and it was delightful. So I might be coming around, <laughs> coming around to fruitcake. So this is an important news flash for y'all. Um, somebody wrote in and asked if blooming magnolias are female. And um, they're both. So most flowering plants have both male and female parts and they're called perfect flowers when they have both. 
Um, and it just depends. It's different from species to species. And so there's a lot of trees that have separate male and female plants. And um, it just depends on the species. But magnolias have both parts. Each flower has both male and female parts. Um, let's see. We've got another question here. Good morning. I have an oak tree about three years old. I just noticed and removed the T-post uh, and I noticed the wire around the tree dug into the tree about half inch all the way around. I noticed this after I saw some leaves falling. Is there anything I can do to facilitate recovery and scar around the tree? Thanks so much from David and Leander. Yeah, David, that's a really common problem. Um, when the trees are staked and they have any kind of material, especially wire, around the trunk or around the branches, um, as the trees age, they grow in diameter every year and get wider. And so those materials can um, squeeze the tree and girdle it. So um, if you can, if you can get that material out of the tree without damaging the tree, um, do that as much as you can, um, you may, it just depends on the situation. It's a really hard question to answer. Um, sometimes depending on how the, the wire was wrapped around the tree, um, the tree can just grow over it, but uh, it can girdle the tree, you know, where the, it cuts the roots off from the top of the tree. And that's a huge problem for the tree. So everybody out there, if you've got trees that were planted in the last couple of years, you've really, and they're staked, you've really got to make sure you're checking um, every year to make sure that those materials aren't too tight. And um, instead of wire um, to support the tree, I really recommend a material called tree tie webbing. Tree tie webbing is so much better. It's softer. It won't dig into the tree. Um, it's a little bit, even a little bit, it has some give to it. So as the tree expands in diameter, it's not going to girdle the tree. So unfortunately, this is a really common problem. And um, the tree tie webbing is a much better material. And I found the tree tie webbing is just handy material to have around. Um, it's great if you're going to hang like a tire swing or um, bird feeders or anything like that from the tree so that you're not injuring your trees uh, by, you know, wrapping material around them. And you've just got to make sure that material is loose uh, and not going to squeeze the tree. Okay, so look for tree tie webbing. It's great stuff. And we've got another text message or someone wrote in and said, I'm thinking about planting a Texas redbud tree. I'm wondering what the upside and the downside to those trees are. Thank you. Hey, that's a great question. Um, I really love Texas redbuds. Um, I would like all the red buds. The Texas red buds, the best one for our area. And the upside is that they bloom um, the, during the first week of March. Early bloomers, they're really beautiful. 
Um, they're really important trees for pollinators because the bees and everybody have been kind of dormant all winter and not eating very much. And then the, they're the first things to bloom in the spring. So it's an important food source when all the insects are coming out and they're um, really, really hungry. They can come to the redbud trees. The Texas redbuds are nice because they can grow in shade or part shade. Um, they're going to suffer in full sun. Um, so I don't recommend them for full, full sun. Um, the downsides are that sometimes if it's a really bad summer, like the one we had, they can look a little ratty at the end of the summer. Their leaves will turn brown. The edges of the leaves will turn brown sometimes. However, sometimes if it's a really nice summer and fall and we get some rain in September, uh, the redbuds can have nice yellow fall color. So um, they can be a little scruffy at the end of the season. And I know some people don't like that about them. And their bloom period can be kind of short. But I just think they're great mixed with other stuff in the landscape that blooms at other times. I have one right outside my front door and I really enjoy uh, seeing it through the windows on the front door when it's blooming. So can't go wrong with the red buds. And they make little um, peas because they're in the legume family. They're in the bean family. So they make little pea pods after they bloom and you can eat them. Um, so that's kind of cool. Okay, so the same person who wrote in earlier to uh, suggest pomegranates said that the last two winters and summers killed off their chocolate persimmon. Uh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And um, yeah, the chocolate persimmon, I believe, is a Japanese type. Um, and the, uh, the Texas persimmons are native, so they're going to be more durable all of that. Although I have a Fuyu, a giant Fuyu persimmon at my house that has been an unstoppable force. It's done really well. It has. It didn't make any fruit. It tried to make fruit this year, but all the fruit fell off um, because of the drought. And I had birds pecking the fruit because they were thirsty. Even though I put water out for the birds, they were still pecking the fruit. So it's so, bummer. So I didn't get any fruit this year on my giant Fuyu persimmon, but maybe next year. So um, last week, someone wrote in about a banana pot and I didn't get to uh, answer their question. Um, that They had a, ba a banana in a pot that is outside right now. And I would just keep that in the pot and bring it in when there's freezing weather. Um, so yeah, because they need protection from the cold. Their roots need protection from the cold. And then plant it in the ground in the spring. And uh, we're coming up on the next break. Here we are. This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Good morning, everyone. This is Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. And this is the Horticulture Hangover Show. And uh, thanks for listening. 
Uh, someone texted just now to ask if there is a pomegranate tree or bush that's native to Texas and is now a good time to plant one or is it better to wait until spring? Um, for pomegranates, they are not native here and there aren't any native ones that I know of. Uh, and I believe they're Mediterranean um, and maybe from Central Asia. And they do get hit hard in the winter sometimes. So I recommend waiting until spring to plant one. Um, so March and April is a good time for planting pomegranates. Usually I like to put all trees in, trees and shrubs in, in the winter. But um, pomegranates are one of the exceptions. If you planted one in the winter, it'd probably be okay if you planted one now, but there's a chance that it could die and not come back if it get, if we have a really cold winter. So um, wait, I recommend waiting till spring. Uh, and then someone else asked, oh, the other thing is my, with my fruit tree calendar on my website has planting times in there too. So if you purchase a downloadable um, fruit tree calendar uh, at atxgardens.com, it will have reminders of when planting time is for all the different types of trees. Um, someone else who wrote in uh, said they got four of the five persimmons off of a year old Fuyu persimmon. Um, Totally forgot about it. Maybe should have covered from the birds. It took seven years for my last one to produce and it died in the 21 freeze. Aw. Very hopeful about this new one. Thinking of planting more. Same kind, you think? Or another variety of Japanese persimmon? I love them myself. So tasty. Yeah, I really like them too. Um, no, I think you're good to go with a, a Fuyu. If you have two... Uh, Japanese persimmons, they can pollinate each other and you'll get more fruit. So, but they don't have to be different. Um, and I really recommend them. I, I think they're great. Uh, so yeah, go for it. Get the Fuyu. Giant Fuyu is the one I really like. And uh, we've got Johnny from Magnolia on the line. Good morning, Johnny. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. I got a question for you. I planted uh, uh, probably about 15 live oaks. Uh, I live in Magnolia, but we have a house up here at Canyon Lake. Okay. And, uh, one of my live oak trees uh, that I planted, well, 20 years ago, it's, you know, probably 40 feet tall now, pretty good size. The bark is coming off of it on uh, one side. And uh, it's just, I noticed it falling off, and I pulled on it, and it probably came off about three feet up, not all the way around the tree, but uh, probably about one side of the tree. And I, I didn't see any critters in there. And uh, uh, I saw, well, I did see a few small ants, but I didn't see any big carpenter ants or anything like that. And I was wondering... Hmm. Uh, uh, what what should I do with it? Uh, How does it look? Does it know. have all of its leaves? Is it losing its leaves early or anything like that? No, it looks great. Uh, hmm. I looked at it. It's uh, I just had all my trees uh, uh, dead wooded and uh, 
and all the sprouts cut off. And uh, I mean, they all look good, but it's just this one tree with the bark coming off kind of concerned me. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to lose it. Uh, yeah, I'm a little concerned too. Um, let's see. Is it, uh, did you notice any sawdust under the bark? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Somebody asked me about hmm. that uh, from uh, carpentry, and so I didn't see any sawdust or anything. Okay. Uh, I just mulched all the trees in the front and hmm. uh, the back, and I didn't, I didn't notice any sawdust at all. Hmm. Okay. Johnny, I'm going to say I really think that you should have a consulting arborist take a look at it just to make okay. sure that you don't have a fungal disease or something like that going on. Okay. Um, okay. Sometimes I'm going to speculate a little bit and say sometimes when trees get injured when they're young, they can get injuries and we can't see them if the injury happens under the bark. And then right. as it heals, a callus will form of really hard wood that's covered by the old bark. And as the tree grows in diameter every year and gets bigger and bigger, the old bark falls off. And um, mm. that calloused part that is sealing over the, the injury uh, just is bulging out and will uh, cause the bark to fall off. I'm, I'm seeing, I don't see that on live oaks very often. I'm seeing that a lot now on Monterey oaks and red oaks that had damage from the 2021 uh, winter storm and the 2023 ice storm uh, from right. cold from cold damage cracks from cold damage. But you know what live oaks do get are torsion cracks where if there's real high wind and the tree twists in the wind, it'll cause a long crack on the trunk where the whole tree twisted. And that right. can happen under the bark and we can't see it sometimes. So it could be a torsion crack that's healing. But I really do think that you should um, get a, an, a consulting arborist out there to take a look at it just to make sure that it's okay. not a fungal disease. But I bet it's some kind of torsion crack healing up. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I appreciate yeah. it. I'll get back to the house and call, find somebody to come out and take Good. a look at it. Okay, Johnny. Great. Good luck with your trees. Thanks. Okay. So, yeah, that's a tough question to answer without seeing, uh, you know, a picture or seeing it in person because, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of those kind of injuries, cold injuries now getting revealed now that the trees have grown a little bit more and the old bark falls off um, and the trees are growing calluses over uh their injuries from the cold or yeah sometimes we get the torsion cracks on the the live oaks because of the way the live oak trees are bend so much they have uh, such long lateral um, branches so this is Colleen Dieter with atxgardens.com and I'll see y'all next week <laughs>